Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode. I'm so glad you're joining me. Hey, I want to tell you about a couple things before we jump into our episode. First off, head over to your socials, Facebook or Instagram, and follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights all the ministries of the Women of the Word Ministry of Christ the Word Church. It includes our blog called Planted, great content. It includes our Mom to Mom Ministry for Mothers. It includes our Regarding Him Conference. It happens yearly in March. And of course, it includes this podcast, Unshaken. There's so much good content you are going to want to follow, so do it today. That will be in our show notes each and every week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory. It helps us out, but it also helps you out because you get notification of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to me at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you have ideas, suggestions, or even thoughts about an episode that you heard. Finally, as you know, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's head into today's episode. Okay, I'm going to take you back all the way to my sixth grade year. It was 1986. I had a curly perm in my hair. I had really big glasses with a little rainbow down in the corner of the lenses. I had three really good friends and we hung out together all the time. We actually rode the same bus and we made a decision together on that bus that we were going to be a singing group. Uh, We were going to be a band. Uh, We were still working on the name, but we were going to be famous. And I, being the front singer, was diligent about practicing for this group. I would pull my mom's Red Hoover vacuum out of the closet and I'd set it up in the middle of the living room and it became my microphone. I would lean and the microphone would lean with me just like a rock star would. I even remember one time I took a flashlight and secured it to the top of the vacuum handle with a rubber band so that I could just whip it off at that pivotal moment when I wanted to walk around the stage. See, I was a singer in the 1986 for my imaginary crowd of people. And this was all well and good until my future brother-in-law showed up one day and walked right into my house. I was not expecting him. I was singing at the top of my lungs and I was so embarrassed when he walked in because I was actually not a singer. (laughs) My sixth grade self wanted to crawl underneath the table. Still to this day, whenever I see him, he picks on me about this, which Okay, he probably should. It was hilarious. But here's one thing. I actually thought I was a singer. I thought someday I was going to be a famous star. But the reality was, I was just a sixth grader who wanted to be a singer. I didn't do the things I needed to do to be a singer. I didn't take voice lessons. I didn't practice for hours. I was just a sixth grader who struggled with math and collected little Smurf characters. I was not a singer. This kind of reminds me of another story. During the late 80s, there was a singing group that became really popular, and it was called Millie Vanilli. Maybe you remember them. They had a couple of famous songs, one that I remember, Blame It on the Rain. Now, Millie Vanilli and I actually have something in common. See, we both like to pretend that we're singers. They had a couple number one hits. You might remember them. Baby, Don't Forget My Number. And Girl, You Know It's True. 
But Millie Vanilli actually were not the real singers. In fact, they were not singing at all on some of their songs. The final version of Girl You Know It's True was finished by some studio performers and Millie Vanilli didn't actually sing it on the album. So in July of 1989, during a live performance on MTV, the recording that they were lip syncing to jammed and skipped. And this revealed to the whole world that Millie Vanilli were actually not the singers. They were not singing. They were doing all the things that seemed like they would make them singers. They were making their mouths move to the music. They were moving around the stage and playing instruments, but they were actually not singing the very thing they said they were going to do. Hey, on today's episode, we're going to listen to a recorded talk given by Kim Lechman at a teaching event on a slow Saturday morning in 2016. I know it's been quite a while since this talk was first given, but let me tell you, it is relevant today. Kim is going to walk you and I through how often we say we're Christians. We say we follow God. We say we'll read our Bible. We even read it. We listen to good talks or podcasts or teaching events. We go to women's conferences, but we never do anything with what we hear. We're always listening, but never acting. Now, I guess we're actually not a whole lot different than Milli Vanilli. Sometimes, you and I, we just want to put on a show. I always like to start with a little story, so that also kind of calms me down a little bit. So we're going to do that today. So um, allow me a few minutes this morning to take us back a number of years to a sunny Saturday afternoon. The church we were attending, and some of you were present, um, and so you'll remember this story, was having a camping trip at a place called Lake Lisa. Um, Basically, it was somebody's home with a very large pond, and they would allow people to put, um, they would allow groups to put tents around it and camp for short periods of time. There was a beach area with toys and a slide in the shallow end, and it gradually became deeper, and you could swim and fish. But the big draw was this high dive platform. And it had two levels similar to what you would see at a local swimming pool, minus the actual diving boards. Now, I checked with my sources, and they say that the highest spot was about 10 or 15 feet. But I remember it being at least 30. But (laughs) we'll go with their estimates at this point in the story. So all day, the kids, men, and a few of the ladies played on this taking turns climbing the ladder, running from the back of the platform, and hurling themselves into the water. Sometimes they would do tricks, sometimes they would jump together, sometimes performing a solo jump. They would coordinate jumping from the top and the bottom decks, so they hit the water at the same time. So much fun, over and over again, up and down the ladder, in and out of the water. Meanwhile, I sat back on the beach, under the trees, visiting with the other ladies. You see, I'm not a big water person. I'll put my feet in, and I've engaged in a couple of greased watermelon contests in the way distant past, but mostly I'm a waiter, a non-adventurer of sorts. Oh, and I don't do heights. But I listened, and I heard the water splashing. I heard the plans for coordinated cannonballs. I heard the accolades for the perfect jump. I heard the laughter. I listened, and I watched. 
I watched how easily they ran up and jumped off the edge. I watched them easily climb the ladder. I watched them execute their plan, count down, take flight, plunging into the cool waters below. I listened and watched for hours. I sat in the presence of the so-called jumpers all day. It was great fun. And eventually, I convinced myself that I could jump off that high dive, that I was a jumper. It was as if I had been frolicking along with them all day long, actually doing it myself, instead of merely listening and watching. And the longer I sat and watched and enveloped by the experience of it all, I determined I was one of them, a jumper. After all, I had been with them all day, in close proximity to the action. It may as well have been me the whole time. So eventually, I found myself walking across the yard to the platform. And as I approached, I immediately felt my heart beat faster. I started up the ladder and realized that up close, it wasn't nearly as sturdy as it appeared to be from a distance. (laughs) Slowly, I kept going. And in my mind, I may may as well have been scaling the Eiffel Tower. My heart beat faster and faster. And by the time I reached the top, I had used up every ounce of courage. I was spent. I made my way to the front of the platform and gazed over the edge. And way down there was a reflection that looked back at me. And that was no jumper. It was me, Kim, the waiter, afraid of heights. Just get your feet wet. Sit on the beach. Kim. There was no way I was going off the edge of that thing. Meanwhile, the kids continued to jump and dive, but I wasn't one of them. I had deceived myself into thinking I was. I was a mere listener. I moved to the back of the platform. What was I going to do? I was not going back down that ladder, remember? (laughs) It was not sturdy to begin with. I just stood there. And time passed, a lot of time. (laughs) I was frustrated, angry at myself, embarrassed. Eventually, Pastor David came up to talk to me. (laughs) Now, you might imagine the spiritual encounter. (laughs) But one of the things I recall him saying was, I'm going to pray with you. And me yelling back, gently of course, You are not going to pray that I jump off a high dive. (laughs) And me, near tears, and he being kind, though I am sure finding difficult not to laugh. So 45 minutes later, I stepped off the edge of that platform and landed in a near-perfect seated position. And I received a two from the Russian judge simply because he could finally go home. For a couple of weeks, I bore the near black markings on my backside from my hips to my knees, reminding me of my foolishness. So what does this have to do with us today? As we gather in our churches on Sundays, in weekly Bible studies, at mom-to-mom, yearly retreats or conferences, and the Word of God is taught, have we deceived ourselves into thinking that simply being present is enough. Hearing 
is all that is important. What about our personal time spent in the Word? Are we mere listeners? When Wendy approached me and asked me to speak, one of the first things I did was pray for God to show me areas in my life that were not pleasing to Him, to make me sensitive to my sin and repentant before Him. I began reflecting on the theme verse from James 1.22 that she put before me. Do not merely listen to the word and, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I began thinking about what I had heard over the last year or so, just at ladies' events. Be hospitable. Fight sin. Walk worthy. Be reconciled. God is my hope and anchor. The reality of being a daughter of the king and the question being asked, who is this king of glory? I could list more, and then there were those that were offered that I did not attend. But the retreat from last year hit hard as I remember Wendy calling us to identify secret loves or lovers in our lives. Not literal adulterous lovers, but things that take our affections away from God. There was a specific thing that came to mind that weekend, and as we sat together and were challenged by the truth of God's word, I was convicted to deal with it, to break up the hard fallow ground of my heart and do what was necessary to eliminate the sin from my life. My intentions were genuine, and yet when approached to stand before you, I realized that I was struggling with that very same sin and had not really fought hard at all. I was still needing to go before the Lord in repentance, seeking forgiveness, and in His mercy, it was given. I am not saying that we will not sin. What I am saying is that somewhere along the line, I decided it was too hard, or that it did not matter, or that I would get around to it, or that no one really knows about it, it was secret after all, or that something else was more important. And yet on that day, at that retreat, the Lord clearly spoke to my heart about an area of my life that He wanted and wants obedience in. If you take a moment to reflect on the teachings over just the last year, are you sitting in your place right now full of joy because of a work accomplished in your life through Him? Or, like me, are you saddened that you heard but ultimately did not respond in obedience? I work outside of my home part-time as a nurse in a small, in-hospital procedural unit. On any given day, four nurses generally work, and we rotate between four different roles. One of those is the charge nurse for the day. Now this, by far, is my least favorite assignment. I like being the worker bee. I do not like telling people what to do, when to go home, scheduling patients, coordinating times between different departments, being the front person with the doctors. It's just not my thing. But we all take our turns. And sometimes things come up that require us to take a stand for the good and safety of our patients that may not be, shall we say, popular. In those situations, as in every hospital unit, and I'm sure many other work environments, we have policies and procedures that direct our day-to-day -day operations. They have been prepared and approved as a standard for us to follow, covering everything from staffing to procedure details and our very specific guidelines. It is the expectation that we know them or refer to them if unsure, 
and that we will not only refer to them, but do what they say on a daily basis. We are held accountable to them. So one day, I was charged Nurse Leckman. A situation came up, and our doctor needed to schedule a non-emergent case, and he wanted to do it right away. After gathering information on the patient, it became clear that per our policy, we needed to hold off on the procedure for another two hours. I knew this would not make him happy, quite the opposite, actually. So I mustered all my strength and went to inform him of the delay. After a fair bit of discussion, he finally looked me square in the eyes and said, so what are you going to do, Kim? What are you going to do? At that moment, I have a decision to make, a standard that I must follow, regardless of my fear or how uncomfortable my, dis- my situation may, be- may become. I always appreciate when God gives me situations in my life that help me to understand his truths better. Just as I have standards in the workplace, I have the perfect law or standard, God's word, in which to guide my life and to stand on. I need not be afraid to stand up to anyone or anything. There is protection and refuge, guidance and assurance, wisdom and knowledge to be had if I follow those precepts day by day. And just like at work, there will be times when I will be called on by God to an uncomfortable situation, whether it be conviction of sin, to fear God and not man, or a response to a call he has placed on my life. And I can stand assured that he can and will prepare and equip me for the purpose in which he calls. I need only respond in obedience. So when I look at the focus of our teaching today, I hear that refrain in my head, what are you going to do, Kim? When I sit through a sermon and Pastor David presents an application, when I sit shoulder to shoulder with the ladies at my Bible study and I'm challenged with the teaching, when the Spirit convicts my heart in the quiet of the morning as I read the Word, or when I feel the prompting to write that note or send the text, what are you going to do, Kim? And so this morning, and as we go forward together this year, not just as women of Christ the Word Church, because we are always privileged and blessed to have many guests share our time with us, but as women united through Jesus Christ, I ask you, what are you going to do? I'm going to take a moment to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words will be used for your glory this morning. Give us hearts that desire to please you, that long to show our love for you through our obedience. I pray that this day would find us changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our main text um, for the remainder of our morning will be found in James 1, 22 through 25. Um, and we're going to read that together now. James 1, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, 
but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I'd like to introduce you to two hearers or listeners this morning. One is deceived and the second is intentional. We'll first meet the deceived listener. Earlier in James, we were told to be quick to listen, meaning that we are to avail ourselves to the teaching of God's word whenever we can. We have many, many opportunities for this, from Sunday mornings to special events to Bible studies. We can be quick to listen. The danger comes in if we become merely listeners or nothing more than a listener, therefore deceiving ourselves. Now, deceive is an ugly word. It is used, as it is used in our verse, it implies a self-deception. So by simply or merely listening to the word and not becoming doers of it or acting on what we have heard or read, we are deceiving ourselves. Scripture gives us a visual that this mere listener is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. All of us spent time this morning in front of the mirror. We generally have good lighting. Some may have handheld mirrors to check all angles of your hair, some magnifying mirrors to make sure no little thing is missed. We look for flaws and imperfections, and generally we set to dealing with them. We pluck and moisturize, we conceal and volumize, and when satisfied, we walk away. Then many, before leaving the house, took a quick look in the mirror hanging right beside the back door, drove to church, And right before exiting the car, yes, one last toothy smile to make sure no lipstick had migrated. And if all was well, in the front door you came with a bright smile on your face. But this verse is saying that by being merely a listener of the word, you've shown up this morning with smudge mascara from last night, maybe some dry drool from a really deep night's sleep, and a few out-of-control stray chin hairs. You looked in the mirror, but you walked away and immediately forgot. You saw flaws, but you did nothing. Maybe you're going to come right back. Maybe someone else demanded your attention. Maybe you didn't have time. Or maybe it would simply be too painful. Whatever the reason, the flaws remained. You merely listened. So obviously this is bigger than our outward appearance, and yet that's part of the deception. You can come to church in the various offerings week after week, even month after month, and longer, and remain deceived. This could be a lady who comes every week to church, reads her Bible, never misses a Bible study, fills in the answers, and perhaps even engages in conversation. She may enjoy the intellect of the pastor, the challenge of a study offering, even have her home decorated with scripture. She listens to sermons on radio, maybe even goes to ladies' events at other churches. She surrounds herself with all the right things, church things. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active, sharper than, excuse me, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word is alive and as such requires a response. 
When we hear the word, we acknowledge its truth, and then we must respond to it. It is not enough for us to simply talk to our friends about it, take notes, or repeat something if we never allow it to convict and transform our lives. The scripture hanging on our walls is just decor if it never moves from the walls of our homes to the walls of our hearts. Instead of exposing ourselves to the word, this lady may be spending far too much time comparing herself to others, seeking to be like them instead of Christ, potentially finding false comfort in her performance and position. Perhaps that same lady described above does not see the need for ongoing repentance or does not take time for the word to sink in before moving on. She may never pray for the Spirit's direction or for wisdom to put it into practice. Though she may see the spot or the sin, she does not linger for cleansing. She's hasty and forgetful. She keeps her imperfections. She may feel conviction in the moment and may even acknowledge the sin, but when the teaching or sermon is over, when she looks away, that's as far as it goes. All good intentions and conviction is lost. She forgets. This mere listener is deceived. How? In 1 John 2-3 we read, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man or woman who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Jesus tells us in the book of John that if we love him, we will obey what he commands. If anyone loves him, he will obey Jesus' teaching. Our obedience to the word is a reflection of our relationship and love for God. I'm going to say that again. Our obedience to the word is a reflection of our relationship and love for God. His word says, if you know me, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Sit with that for a moment. Our response to the word matters. A test of genuine saving faith is obedience. Are you merely a listener? Are you content surrounding yourself with the word, perhaps believing yourself to be something you are not? Do you listen? see a flaw or feel conviction of sin, but after the sermon, quickly move on, forgetting what has been revealed to you? If in your heart you are saying yes to any of this, then you are deceived, and I challenge you today, what are you going to do about it? Now allow me to introduce you to our second guest, the intentional listener. In verse 25 of our passage in James, we read, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Here we have the word intently, which implies to look with purpose. The commentators say that it suggests a stooping over or looking closely at the truth. She has a genuine desire to know, to miss nothing of what the perfect law or word says. She is seeing the flaws, looking into the mirror of God's word, allowing them to be revealed. And she does not look away, but continues to do so, not forgetting what, has, what was heard, but doing what was said. 
She's heard the word, acknowledged the truth, and responds. She's honest with herself in what is revealed. This woman obeys. Obedience means to give earnest attention to the word, to submit to its authority, and to carry out its instructions. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel challenged the Israelites by asking them, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. God desires and delights in our obedience. We can conclude from earlier passages that this obedience is evidence of true faith, saving faith, and demonstrates our love for him. Our obedience is not an occasion, not a sporadic occurrence. It should be our lifestyle, an ongoing yielding to the conviction of the word, responding with repentance and walking in faith and power of the Holy Spirit, a lifestyle of doing for the Lord, not going through the motions, not looking and forgetting, but having everything in you say, I want to obey you, Lord. I want to live for you and bring you glory, minute by minute, day by day. An explanation I read by one writer explained that just as one can be a teacher or a builder or a soldier, that that is what characterizes their life. As believers, we are to be doers of the word by life habit. It characterizes our whole personality. In the Psalms we read, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Her lifestyle is seeking after God first and foremost in all she does, trusting him for all things. We should desire to be women whose every action reflects that they live for the Lord and want to please him in all we do. Are you a doer of the word? Do you spend time regularly in quiet study, intently, purposefully exposing yourself to the truth? Do you take in all of God's word? Do you take time to meditate and think over application in sermons or Bible study questions? Do you discuss it with your spouse or a friend? When that spot or sin is revealed, are you sorrowful and honest before the Lord? Do you repent and seek forgiveness? Do you readily obey and apply the word? If this has not been your habit, then I challenge you again. What are you going to do about it? Ladies, if we, as we have had opportunity to meet both of these listeners, we can see that they have some similarities. Both heard the word. Both, to some extent, may know it. But only one lives it. Only one delights the Lord with her obedience. The title of our event today is Know It, Live It. The woman who is intently looking and continues to do so without forgetting, lives in the knowledge of God's word and will have a heart that desires to obey. Scripture is full of commands, and it would be impossible in a setting like this with such a variety of women from so many seasons and walks of life to be very specific. However, in the time that remains, we will look at some simple truths that have helped me and 
prayerfully will help us to live a life that honors the Lord through obedience as we seek to be intentional women that listen and obey. First, an intentional woman lives in the knowledge of a sovereign God. Many years ago in a Sunday a summer Sunday school class, I learned this truth and it changed my life from that day forward. In the Psalms we read, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. It tells us further that our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. To be sovereign means that God is in complete control of all situations, past, current, and future, and that his perfect will will be accomplished. A Bible study teacher once shared that no situation ever comes into our lives that hasn't first passed through the hands of God. In other words, God is fully aware of what is going on, fully aware of what is happening to me. I needn't be fearful. I need not wonder if he knows or cares or sees. He is in complete control. In Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, we read, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the beginning from the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. He is God. He knows. We can fully trust him, yield to his word, and respond in obedience. Do you trust in his sovereign will for your life? In Proverbs, we have the beautiful assurance that there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Live intently in the knowledge of a sovereign Lord. Secondly, an intentional woman lives in the knowledge that God has placed authority over her in the local church. We take much comfort in knowing that our great shepherd, Jesus, knows us and we know him. He watches over us. But an intentional woman also trusts her pastors and elders to shepherd and guide her. The word of God tells us in Hebrews to obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work would be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. When our leaders challenge us, they are keeping watch. We, must, we trust them because we trust God who put them over us. They are helping us to look and not forget. We must believe that our pastor is led weekly to speak to us because he knows us. We are his sheep. God has placed him over us specifically. When Sunday school classes, small groups, or even women's events are offered, they have come to pass as a result of consideration and prayer of your pastors and elders. Our leadership has put an importance on us gathering together particularly in small groups, to study the word, to grow in our faith and likeness in Christ. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it, is, as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Remember, we looked at the word deceive earlier. Gathering together helps us to fight against our sin. 
Commonly, in small groups and Bible studies, the ladies will have private prayer time. Pray that God would give you an increased love for these ladies, a true burden for them. Show up to group. Be a ready participant. Be vulnerable during prayer time and rejoice together at God's answers. Encourage one another. Do not allow sin to deceive. Do not become hard. Trust your leadership, ladies. Pray for Pastor David, for the pastor of your church, if you do not attend here, that they would respond to the Spirit's leading and speak truth to us on Sunday mornings. Are you trusting God through the authority placed over you? Might I challenge you today that here or at your church, you have a shepherd keeping watch over your soul. Listen, submit, obey, live in the knowledge of local authority. So our intentional woman lives in the knowledge of a sovereign God. She trusts in the authority of her local church. And third, she lives in the knowledge of a need of ongoing repentance. Psalm 51 reminds us that against God alone do we sin, and he alone can create in us a pure heart and renew a steadfast and loyal spirit within us. Our sin affects our relationship with God, and only when we confess can we restore that once again. As we continue to come to his word, our sins will be revealed. Psalm 32 tells us of blessings that come from having our sins forgiven. It also speaks of a time when the psalmist kept silent or refused to confess, and we read that my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God is good and faithful not to leave us where we are. Many times on a Sunday morning, the men will say something during confessional prayer, mention a sin you never thought of, and you're forced to ask yourself, what are you going to do about it? May we never be found to look away and forget, but cry out, forgive me, Lord. Confess the sin and experience the blessing that comes with the forgiveness live in the knowledge of the need of ongoing repentance. Fourth, an intentional woman will live in the knowledge that the word of God is perfect. God's word can be trusted, always. In Psalm 18, we read, As for God, his way is perfect, and the word of the Lord is flawless. Freedom to live holy and obediently for God comes with really believing that we can trust what his word says, trust that it is in fact the best way for us. In Psalm 119 we read, because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Ladies, if we are lovers of God, we are going to be lovers of his word. And as a result, our lives will reflect that. And God's word is sufficient to meet all of our needs. A couple of years ago, I sat with someone that I love while he very angrily spoke to me about this book, this book that I talk about and how it has answers and power. He asked if I ever thought that maybe I was wrong. He got very close to my face saying, your book, your book. And he wanted to point out that there were other ways that we could hear from God and that my book was simply that. 
nothing more than any other book on a shelf. He left that day angry at me, at life, at God, I think. I was heartbroken, and I admit anxious. And though I did not know my little question then, in a way, I asked myself, Kim, what are you going to do about it? I cried out to God for protection for him. I knew that deep within him, he knew truth, and that truth was more powerful than anything he was listening to at the time. I prayed for him. I prayed for myself. Specifically, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Keep him from fear. Keep me from fear and doubt. I know I can trust your word. I shared with close friends and asked them to pray with me. I kept praying. When I felt led to share a scripture, I would text it to him. I knew and I know that God's word is powerful. His word also tells me in Psalm 25, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. I waited and witnessed as God worked using his living, active, perfect, right, pure, radiant, sure, trustworthy word to bring healing to this man. I praise God today. Sorry. And give glory. Give glory that he now seeks God through this word and knows it to be true. He has his own testimony to share of God's goodness. When we come to God's word, we have to believe that every word is true and be willing to wrestle with it, knowing that God wants what is best for us. Recently, we had a guest pastor who's been preaching for a very long time, and he shared that he read a passage for the first time, not literally, but God revealing something new to him. This happens to us as we faithfully, intently look in the word. And when prompted, don't look away. God will show us what he wants for us personally. God's word is alive. Come to it expectant and with a willing, open heart. You will begin to change. Do you trust God's word to guide you? Live in the knowledge that God's word is perfect. Next, an intentional woman lives in the knowledge of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Last year, our ladies' Bible study group did a topical study on the subject of personal revival, and one of the weeks covered the Holy Spirit. As I read the chapter and worked through the questions, I was challenged by the fact that though I was familiar with the verses, I had to say that I did not live my life in a way that reflected a full understanding and reliance on the Holy Spirit. And day to day, if I am honest, I gave very little thought to the workings of the Spirit in my life. The opening paragraph of the study said the following, we were never intended to live our lives apart from Him, the Holy Spirit. In fact, we cannot live the Christian life apart from Him. He enables us to obey God, empowers us to become like Jesus, and fills us with supernatural power for work and for witness. We should therefore learn how to listen to him, how to follow him, how to rely on his power, 
and how to walk in his fullness. Jesus tells us in John, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you. As believers, the spirit lives in us. We are then taught that this counselor, the Holy Spirit, will teach and remind us of what we need to know and remember, that he is our comforter, advisor, encourager, and strength. He convicts us of sin and guides us in the way we should go. We live every day in constant communion with God the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 states, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That little phrase, keep in step, stood out to me. It made me think of a three-legged race, how your legs are tied together, and generally your, your arms are linked over your shoulders. You are in agreement as to which foot to begin, with, to begin on, and as you move, you, I'm sorry, to begin on, and you move together as a unit, as one, toward a goal or a finish line. And if things are going well, there's laughter and joy and progress. But when out of step, you've seen it, many steps, many stops trying to regroup, or perhaps one is being drug along. There's frustration, unhappiness, little to no progress. Are you walking in step with the Spirit daily? Do you invite Him to direct your day, to join you in your tasks? Do you give thought to the fact that the Spirit lives within you and you need only to call upon Him to guide you? Are you willing to surrender to His leading for your life? My prayer has been that I would be more mindful of the little promptings in my life and not overthink everything. If I think God is leading me to do something, I respond. Not perfectly, but it has proven to be a blessing to me as I have trusted His leading. So if you feel led to bake cookies and take them to the neighbor, then show hospitality. If God shows you a way you offended your sister, then go make it right. If he prompts you to make your hubby's favorite meal that is only for special occasions on an ordinary Tuesday, then love him well. Listen and keep in, spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Live in the knowledge of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So the intentional woman lives in the knowledge of a sovereign God. She trusts in the authority placed over her in the local church. She acknowledges the need of ongoing repentance. She believes that the word of God is perfect. She lives in the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, an intentional woman lives in the knowledge that we don't always act. Women by nature like to get things done, have lists and assignments tasks to accomplish. For some, there's comfort in this, a feeling of control. And yet, some of the most difficult times of obedience will be when God calls on us to be still or cease striving and know that I am God. Though it may be tempting to formulate a plan or make a call to a friend, sometimes we need to simply be still before our sovereign God. What do we do when we are awaiting test results, have a prodigal child, have lost a job, or have unsaved loved ones? We pray, of course, and we wait. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. 
The psalmist goes on to write, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Are you willing to be still? Is this the obedience God is calling you to today? Know that he is God and, in, and live in the knowledge that you don't always act. As we close our time together, I'd like to draw our minds back to our two guests, the deceived listener and the one who listened with intention. Which one do you most identify with? As I sat on that sunny Saturday afternoon in the presence of the activity, watching and listening, I deceived myself into thinking that I was something I was not. Are you merely a listener? Are you, or are you delighting God with your, with your obedience? Are you looking with intention into the word and doing what it says? One thing I know without a doubt is that the word of God is faithfully preached and taught in this church. I pray that is also true if you attend another church. But if you are attending week after week, and dare I say year after year, and your life remains unchanged, I beg you to examine where your heart stands with the Lord. All the knowledge in the world does not matter if it does not change a heart of stone into a heart of flesh through the work of Christ's death on the cross. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Do you love him? Are you a doer of the word? In the days of months to come, can we commit to look with intention out of our love for God, out of our love for each other, and continue to do so? When you are challenged with an application in sermon or Bible study, or confronted by a loving friend with an area of sin that needs to be addressed, or in your own quiet times with your gracious and loving Father, when he draws your attention to a character flaw, are you willing to ask yourself, what are you going to do about it? God's word is commanding, and it calls for a response for us, from us. It calls for obedience. When God calls you to forgive your sister, what are you going to do about it? When he commands you to fear God and not man, what are you going to do about it? When he challenges you to love with patience and kindness and to keep no records of wrong, what are you going to do about it? His word commands us to get rid of bitterness, to be content, and to be imitators of God. What are you going to do about it? The word tells us to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you have felt the call of God on your life, if he is calling you to obedience, what are you going to do about it? The final part of verse 25 in James 1 tells us, she will be blessed in what she does. The blessing comes in the obedience. In Psalm 119, we read, your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the end. May we rejoice together in his blessings as we respond in obedience to his word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray again that we would be women that love you, that delight you with our obedience. I pray that we would be willing to examine our lives, to be yielded to the Spirit, and willing to apply the teachings from our pastors, 
our studies and your word. May we truly believe, Lord, and testify that your word is the joy of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so wow. So much to think about here. I just have to stop and pause and and really ask myself some questions. Am I living in any way in my life that shows that I'm hearing God's word, but I'm not actually doing it? Or maybe I should say I'm not actually obeying. That's probably a better word. How about you? Do you have an area in your life right now that you could name that you, you know a lot about, you hear but you're not actually putting it into practice. Maybe it's forgiving that difficult person. Maybe you've listened to Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as Christ God forgave you. But you're not actually working to forgive that person who hurt you. You're not stopping to pray for them, and you're not even talking to them. Maybe you continue to speak in ways that are unkind to your family or to your coworkers, Even though you have heard God say in Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Maybe you're not actually putting the work in to be kind. Maybe you're not changing your words and pattern of speech to be an encouragement and a blessing to your family. Maybe you're continuing to watch that episode on your favorite streaming app that honors sin such as sexual images and adultery. Even though you've heard God's words say in Psalm 101 verse three, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Maybe it's time to turn it off and choose to honor God. Maybe you've been neglecting the duties that God has put in front of you, whether in your home or your workplace. Maybe you're even trying to cut corners so you don't have to do all the work that's there. Maybe you're listening to Colossians 3.23, which says, Whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord and not for men, but you're not actually working hard. Or maybe you've heard Galatians 6.9, which says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. But instead, you're giving up. Okay, ladies, now it's time to take some action to do something that God is calling you to do. I'm going to ask you the same question Kim kept asking herself over and over throughout today's talk. She kept saying, what are you going to do? So I'm asking you, listeners, what are you going to do? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this teaching on being obedient to your word. Thank you for Kim's words of a challenge and encouragement. Help each woman and myself included to honor you each and every day by both being a hearer of the word and a doer of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have to tell you one area that you may have difficulty putting into action could be on the topic of patience. Next week, we're going to talk in depth about how you and I can practice patience in our everyday life and how we can make this be something that we do that honors God. We're going to hear about this from a woman who has had a lot of chances to practice patience. Join us next week. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. 
Until next time.